Praise the Lord, church. Praise the Lord. All right. Today you are going to get Batman and Robin. So we are, we are the dynamic duo that's going to bring the heat today. All right? I'm serious, man. We're going to bring the heat. <laughs> We're like pitchers for the New York Yankees. Notice I didn't say the Mets. We're going to bring the heat. How many of you are ready for the word of God? Yes. Hallelujah. All right, so are you all nice and energized now? You guys have had your coffee, your bagel this morning, your blood sugar's up. You're ready to receive? All right, I'm just going to pray and then we're, we're going to get started. Master, we thank you for the privilege, the blessing, the honor to be in your courts today. Father, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. We, we just absolutely adore being in your presence, being amongst our family and our friends here today. Heavenly Father, we ask that your anointing would come upon us. We ask that the Holy Spirit would come upon us. We ask, Father God, that your life-changing power would be in this place today. We pray, Father God, that you would speak to our hearts and to our minds. We pray that we would leave this place transformed and renewed by your word challenged and provoked, Lord God, to move forward towards you and your will for our lives. We worship you, we honor you, and we declare that you are Lord and Master over this house and everything that happens in it. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the most amazing woman on the planet. The most... My amazing wife, Belinda Hernandez, Aponte. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, church. Uh, Elder had asked, who was Robin? I would have to say I'm Batman because Tony's scared of heights. <laughs> Hallelujah. As, you know, it's always a privilege to be um, in the house of the Lord and to be able to share the word with God uh, with all of you here today. And um, we were asked to share on God's concern for souls to be re- reconnected with him and how we play a role as the church in this effort. So today we want to begin by talking to you about how God's desire has not changed. What has been his desire and what is that desire that continues to exist even today? Well, since the beginning of creation, God's desire has always been to have communion with man to have fellowship with man, with man, to establish a relationship with man, and to be involved in man's day-to-day interactions. He has always wanted to be involved in our lives. Amen? Amen. And we see that even from the beginning of time. It says in Genesis 3.8 that, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And they didn't hide because they were afraid of the Lord. This was an actual normal occurrence that happened in the garden. God walked with them. God spoke with them. Amen? The reason why they hid was a totally different different reason. Amen? Which we won't get into too much today. But so God coming to the garden seemed to be a normal occurrence. Through scripture, we are able to say that Adam and Eve spoke with God 
and had a relationship with God and spent time together with God. Adam and Eve were constantly in the presence of God. How awesome was that, that they had the privilege of being in God's presence 24-7, never being disconnected from their creator, amen, from their father. But then what happened? Man allowed himself to be deceived, and that one-to-one relationship was broken. And no longer can man be in the presence of God as he used to. Hmm. And have you given thought to the fact that, unfortunately, this deception is still true for many today? There are so many people being deceived by the enemy's lies and counterfeit truths. Whose relationships with God continue to be broken. They continue to be disconnected from God. And here's the thing. Many are so deceived that they believe they have the truth. They walk around honestly believing in their hearts that they walk with God, that they have the one true God in their lives, that they serve the almighty God. But how can that be? Why is it that so many are still so deceived? Well, I dare to say, and this is me, I dare to say that it's because of them. It's because most of them have not been approached or challenged by a true believer. Must have not, most of them have probably not even been um, asked to listen to actual truth. Some of them have not probably been approached and asked, hey, let me sit down with you and talk to you about the true God, the biblical God. Hallelujah. Jesus. Many have been passed by. Many have been encountered by true believing Christians and yet have not been challenged in their thinking or better yet, that have been shown the love and mercy of Christ. Because God's mercy, God's love speaks volumes. But many a times, many times, they cannot see that in God's people. It's time to get personal, people of God. It is to God. It has been personal to God. His desire has remained the same to have a relationship with man, not just for as long as man lived here on earth, But for eternity, that has always been the plan. To God, it has always been personal. Can someone say, it's personal? It's personal. So after Adam and Eve fell, God had to remove them from his continuous presence. He had to remove them from the Garden of Eden. No longer did they have access to God 24-7. No longer were they living in his presence continuously. And then this is why God had to come and then make a way. Because they were disconnected from God. God's desire was to continuously have a relationship with them. God did not want them to have to die. That was in God's original plan. God wanted to live with them and share with them and be in relationship with them forever. But now man came and broke the original God, the original plan of God. Amen. And in doing so, now God had to find a way to share, to continue sharing relationship with, um, with his creation even after death. Amen. Because as long as they stayed in the garden, as long as they lived in the garden of of Eden, they were in constant relationship with Christ. They weren't going anywhere. Their descendants were going to be able to be and continue to be in God's presence. 
But now that death had entered into the world, God had to find another way to say, I, he said, I want to continue to have relationship with their generations and their generations, but I want to continue to have generations with the ones that came even before them. How, how am I going to do this? How can I continue to have relationship with them even after they are gone? He had to make a way for eternity for his people. Hallelujah. Jesus. So if we would have stayed in the, gar- in the Garden of Eden, we would remain in God's presence forever, along with all of Adam's descendants. Amen. But now God's desire, desire to share a long-lasting relationship with man had been shattered. God had to find another way to restore man back to his presence. It was personal to God. He wanted a way in which people did not have to offer up atonements. He didn't want to it to be priests to have to do it all the time. He wanted it a way that would allow his people direct access to his presence, a way that people could choose to be continuously in God's presence again. Amen. He, God, took it personal. It was personal. Someone say it's personal. Come on. It's personal. His desire to share an everlasting relationship with man was so deep and sincere. Not like the relationships we find here on earth. Amen? People's thinking many times is, hey, if you stick around and our relationship lasts, you know, until the day we die, that's great. That's awesome. But if our relationship in in any way gets cut off, eh, whatever. Doesn't matter. People come, people go. But that wasn't God's original plan and it was and it is in god's continuous plan he wants to continuously share relationship with us amen however for god it is too personal to allow his relationship with men to end with death so how does he restore us when there was not one man to be found on earth in which this could happen through amen man could not be trusted or relied on they had proved that already they had failed to abide the law the law, yet it had to be a man who had to bring restoration, restoration to that relationship. Amen. First Corinthians 15, 21 through 22 reads, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. He had made a way. He had found the man that was going to be able to restore his people back onto himself. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. For he made it personal. God must now send his son to earth as a man in order to restore his creation back to himself. Hmm. For God restoring us back to himself was a selfless act. An act that was unconditionally full of love mercy and grace this act required god to send his only begotten son for us and i'm sorry if this is heavy and deep but it's personal to god and it got and it has to get personal with us this is how personal it was for god that he gave his son for all humanity to have a relationship that transcended even death 
For John 3.16 reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is our promise made through Christ Jesus, made possible through Christ Jesus, that now we can share an everlasting relationship with Christ even after death. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for making it personal. He giving his son for us meant that we could have eternal life and still continue being in his presence forever. It meant that he could continue to be in covenant with us, that he could continue having a relationship with us for eternity. See, this relationship thing is very important to God. He created marriage. He created Eve for Adam because he knew how important relationship was. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Saul. See, I find this story best when I think about Saul. Hallelujah. And how he met Jesus. Hallelujah. See, because throughout the scripture, we see God's desire to have relationship with his people. It always remained the same. And any attack against his people became personal to God. And in this story, the story of Saul and how he um, learned learned about Christ, how he came to encounter Christ. This is the soul that later became Paul, how he came to know God. I see how God made it personal in his story. Hallelujah. Glory to God, Jesus. Hallelujah. See, Saul, like many today, thought that he was doing God's work. He sincerely thought he was doing God's work by persecuting the Christians in that day. See, Saul took it personal. He took it personal to live out or act out what he had been taught by the Pharisees, by a very important Pharisee. He himself was a Pharisee. He was a Jew. And he had been taught the law of God. And he took it personal that now these Christians are, what, speaking differently than the law? You know, they, they, he couldn't understand that God had already fulfilled the law. And now he, they were coming to speak grace, love, mercy, to those who needed Christ, who needed to receive Christ. But he didn't know Jesus that way. So he could not understand that. Amen. So God had to come and radically change a man who was a persecutor into a man who became persecuted. Jesus. Hallelujah. It says in Acts 9, 3, 6, as he journeyed, this is Saul, he came near Damascus. He had gone to, Dana- to Damascus. Do you know what? with authority to go find those Christians who were speaking about Christ and take them back to Jerusalem to, um, to imprison them. That was his task. That was his mission. But God said, I'm changing your mission here today and forever. Hallelujah. He says, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I love that line right there. Jesus asks him, why are you persecuting me? And when you think about it, Jesus had already ascended. Jesus wasn't on earth. So who was he actually persecuting? He was persecuting the people that began to believe in Christ Jesus. He was, he was persecuting face to face the people of God, not Christ himself. But it was so personal. See, it comes back to being, to making it personal. It was so personal to God that if he persecuted the people of God, he was persecuting Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And Christ came to end that, um, to end that 
with Saul, not that it, a persecution ended because like I said before, even Saul was persecuted for what he believed, but God knew what lied in Saul and how much he would become committed and dedicated to Christ's uh, desire to restore people to God. Amen. So I said, then the Lord said, and he said, I'm sorry. He said, and he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And what amazes me about this story is that shortly after, Saul accepts Christ and in doing so became consumed with God's desire. God's desire to restore man back to himself, to teach man how to continue being saved, how to continue walking with Christ uh, day to day, even, among, even when you're persecuted. How do you continue running this good fight until the day that Christ comes back and we're still able to continue to live in relationship, in covenant with him for everlasting life? Hallelujah. Glory to God to see people saved and to teach them was his desire it became his desire because it was God's desire. But fleshing out God's desire came with a price to Saul. And yet he continued to carry it on, sacrificing his own wants, his own desires in order to show God's love, mercy and grace in order to help people get restored back to God. Why? Why did was he? So fervent in doing that because he loved, he loved like Christ loved and love takes sacrifice. So he sacrificed all so that he can restore people back to Christ as Christ had called him to do so. People of God, it's personal. And because it's personal, love takes sacrifice. Hallelujah. Now I'm going to ask my husband to continue sharing what God has given us today. Man, if I didn't add another word, we'd be all right. It was a good word. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Glory to God. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you that it's personal with you. We thank you that we can feel your personal touch. Hallelujah, that you're a personal God and it's your desire to know us and touch us one on one. Praise God. Saul, as Belinda mentioned, who later became Paul, was trained by the best of the best of the best of the best. Right? He was a Pharisee himself. He had been trained by Gamaliel. And the Pharisees, uh, if you don't know, they were kind of the experts in the law. So the thing is, is that when you read the scripture, you realize, you know, you automatically think, you know, Paul is just a bad guy. He's just, he's just one bad dude, right? You think, you think to yourself, he's going to persecute Christians. When you take a little bit, when you dig a little bit deeper, you realize that if you just kind of try to see it from his perspective, you kind of get a whole new revelation on it. And you can understand why God chose Paul, or rather Saul, who later became Paul. It's kind of confusing. It's only one letter difference. 
Right, so according to Paul, who, who happened to be, a matter of fact, he trained all his life in understanding the word of God. They were very meticulous of keeping the word intact. They were very meticulous in making sure that people were abiding by the law the right way. In fact, one could even say that this man had to truly be in love with God in order to dedicate his entire life. In fact, he was so diligent and vigilant that he wound up in second, second place under this guy named Gamaliel who was, who was not a man to be trifled with. Amen? Amen? Top of the line, top dog, very well respected in the Pharisee community. You realize that Paul, or rather Saul, all right, if I say Paul or Saul, it doesn't matter. It's the same guy, okay? We're not talking about the king Saul. We're talking about Saul who became Paul. Everybody say amen. I got it. Okay, good. It's hard, man. So you realize that Saul was simply vigilant in making sure that God was respected. And he wasn't playing games. Matter of fact, going back to the scripture, I realized when you read where he meets Jesus in, on the way to Damascus, it's only him and two other guys. Right now, earlier you saw when they went to go collect Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, they, they had a whole army of people. But when Paul, Saul, was heading toward Damascus, he only had two guys with him. That tells me one of two things, either that he was absolutely crazy or he wasn't playing game. And maybe Gamaliel said, listen, guys, you guys need to go with him. Make sure he doesn't get hurt. Dude was not playing. Somebody say Saul was not playing games. He wanted to make sure that the word of God was being upheld. In fact, if you study out the Pharisees a little bit, you'll realize that during the the 400 years of silence. Now, we're going to talk Bible a little bit. There was a 400-year space where God did not communicate with mankind, but uh, the, the Israelites held on to God's word, and they held on to his promises, and they, they held on to the expectation that Messiah was coming, right? Do you know who the guys were that were promoting the fact that the promises of God were still going to be fulfilled? It was the Pharisees. When everybody else had lost faith, when everybody else had lost hope, the Pharisees were the ones that were saying, uphold the word of God, keep the word of God, because God is going to fulfill his promises to the nation of Israel. And when you look at it this way, you realize that, you know, things become a little bit different in your thinking about Paul, right? You realize that Paul had to be in love with the Lord. Like, so even some of us, when we hear somebody say something about the word of God that doesn't sound right or something that you know, maybe they've misquoted a scripture, you're quick to say, hey, 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 that's not what it says. We may have a few Pauls in our church today. We may have a few crazy folks that are quick to, re, you know, to, to fix somebody when they misquote a scripture. Hey, that's not what the word of God says. Hold it right there. Right? And so Paul... Even though he was misguided, I believe that God saw the intention of his heart. Or Saul. I believe that God saw something in there. As a matter of fact, I believe that there was something different about Saul than the rest of the Pharisees. 
I believe that um, when, 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 when Jesus looked at Saul, he saw a heart that was tender and in love with him. The other times we saw Jesus interacting with the Pharisees, what, would, what was their discussion like? He called them serpents and generation of vipers. Uh, they, they accused him of performing miracles by the power of the devil, right? Uh, he, he accused them of being mausoleums filled with dead men's bones. He was harsh, man. He called them thieves. He, he said that they were, uh, they were doing usury to their brethren. They were, st- they were literally ripping their own brothers off. He dealt very harshly. But Paul was different. When Paul ran into Jesus, Jesus referred to him by name. It's a little different, right? When Jesus encountered Saul <laughs> in the, on the road to Damascus, he said, Saul, Saul. Why are you coming against me, bro? He says it's, and, and matter of fact, he used this little phrase which kind of tripped me up. I was like, what the heck? Is it, what is a goad? All right, let's, let's look at that for a second. Um, let's go back. It's a good thing I, I take notes because I totally don't even follow them. Hallelujah. To kick against the pricks or goads implies someone is resisting and in the process is hitting a sharp object, right? So in, that, in Jesus' day, they would have oxes and in, in order to keep the oxes in control, they would have these sharp prickly things to keep them in line. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. And so when the ox decided he wanted to do his own thing, and, ow, okay, I'm going that way. And if he tried to go too far to the left, oh, all right, I'm, I'll, I'll go this way instead, right? And so uh, the phrase was a well-known expression indicating that someone was opposing a deity or God. If we put it all together, we discovered that God told Paul that he was only hurting himself in his effort to eliminate Christians. Mm. He was unknowingly opposing God. So what separated Paul from the Pharisee, from the other Pharisees? What made him different? Anybody, raise your hand. My brother. Amen. Absolutely right. You're absolutely right. That's what set him apart. But there was another thing in the discourse between Jesus and when, when, when Saul meets him. What was different? His genuine love for God. Let me reframe the question. Say it again. Mm. She was reading my notes somehow, some way. I don't know how. Your answer was correct, sir. Your answer was correct, Lourdes. But that's the answer that I was looking for today. What set Saul apart was his response. His response. His response was, 
Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Dude, your, your arms are too short to box with me. And when, when, when Saul was confronted with God's uh, um, expression of love to the world, when he was confront, confronted by the ultimate expression of God's love, he said, mm, what would you have me to do? And his response was different. His response was, wasn't, oh, this is the power of Satan. His response was, I have been chasing after the wrong guy. I have been persecuting my own God. And so he was confronted by love manifested in the flesh. Is that amazing? Is that amazing? Somebody say love. love. Hallelujah. Glory to God. God is so good. Can you imagine what he must have felt that day? Right, so the re- redeeming power of Jesus' words to him, Lord, what would you have me to do? Go find a man named Ananias. He's going to let you know what to do. I can imagine he thought to himself, why would Almighty God, whom I have been messing up on all this time, give me the time of day? Why would the Almighty God, who I have been persecuting his followers, extend salvation to me? The Pharisees simply did not understand who Jesus was. Amen? Their hearts were hardened and darkened. And because Jesus didn't fit the mold of what they thought the Messiah would be, they persecuted him. There was an instance where Jesus sat with tax collectors and sinners. And, uh, and, and the Pharisees said to him, can we, can we lower this somehow? I'm getting like a, a ring. It's like a dog whistle in my ear. It's driving me bananas. When confronted... He said, those who are healthy, they don't need a doctor. But those who are sick need the doctor. I've come not to save those who are well and doing fantastic. I've come to save those who are sick. I've come to save the sinners. And so the, 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 the Pharisees, you know, they, their, their sin wasn't necessarily, you know, sin. Believe it or not, their sin was righteousness. Too much righteousness, piety, thinking that they all they had it all together, so much so that they had no love for the sinners. Mm. And this is why they didn't get Jesus. They could not understand the unconditional love that Jesus brought to the world. But Paul understood immediately. Jesus gave him the revelation of who he was. Paul, because his heart was malleable, accepted. And he was now a man on a different mission. All of the the diligence and vigilance, all of the fervor, all of the obsessiveness that he walked with when he persecuted the Christians, he then took it and used that same fervor to bring the message of the gospel to the lost because he understood that restoring mankind was personal to God because he understood 
what unconditional love was because Jesus forgave him for persecuting his own people. Is that not amazing? Come on, I know, listen, I know you guys are still in a turkey coma. Right? During worship, I know, I, you know, I was kind of worried. I was like, why is everybody staying so still? I know, I know you're worried about shaking and twisting too much. You might force something out that would be undesirable. So, you know, ego te absolvo. I, I get it. I understand. If you got to move, if you got to shake, if you got to shout, please do so. We'll, we'll, we'll forgive you for the, for the release. <laughs> but listen, after this experience, Paul was consumed. He would not stop. He was brought to the judges. The, judgment, the judges had him beat up broke his bones. They sent him out of the court saying, don't talk about Jesus no more. And the second he got out the door, he started preaching the gospel again. Jesus was not, I mean, uh, Paul was not playing games. He understood that love meant sacrificing. Do we understand that love means sacrificing do we listen Paul understood something about love I'm going to read you something real quick Romans chapter 8 King James says who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution famine nakedness peril sword as it is written for, for thy sake we are killed all the day long we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that, what? Loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He looked in the face of love. He looked in the face of the one who sacrificed all for him, the one who was persecuting Christians. He knew what love was all about. Amen? Do we know what love is all about? Paul understood that that same love was now our responsibilities, our responsibility as followers of Christ. Somebody say, love is my responsibility. Say that again. Say, love is my responsibility. We are to deliver love to this world. We are to bring Jesus to people who do not have him. We are to love the unlovable sometimes. Amen? Somebody say love. 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to read from the message version. Paul also wrote this. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word and power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump and it jumps, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I, what I say, what I believe, or what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. And then he goes to list what love is. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others 
than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. It doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in in the flowering of truth. And it puts up with anything. It trusts God always. Always looks for the best and never looks back. But keeps going to the end. That's what love is. BTW, that's what your love should be to people around you every day. Mm, I know you guys don't like me now. And that's fine. You don't have to like me, but this is God's message to us. Love. Somebody say love. Somebody say it's my responsibility. Somebody say, I'm supposed to do it. Somebody say, I'm supposed to live it. Hallelujah. The last portion of that scripture, trust steadily in God, which is faith. Hope unswervingly, hope. Love extravagantly, love. And the best of the three is love. Faith, hope, love. Most importantly, love. Somebody say love. Love. Hallelujah. William Barclay was a Scottish author, radio and television presenter, Church of Scotland minister and professor of divinity and biblical criticism at the University of Glasgow. This dude was a smart guy. I said all that to just say simply he's a smart dude. He said, um, he had a quote, says, love always involves responsibility. And love always involves sacrifice. And we do not really love Christ unless we are prepared to face his task and to take up his cross. His task and his cross. Hmm. How many of us truly love? It's easy to do here, right? Because we all take a shower on Sunday mornings. We all make sure that we put on the, you know, the middle of the road perfume or cologne that's not overly offensive, but just kind of is enough to make you smell good so that your brother's not like, right? We all know the language, the Christianese, my brother, God bless you. How are you, my brother? I'm blessed and highly favored. (laughs) We got that stuff down pat. We could do the little dance. We can shout just right. We've got the pitch just right. It's all pristine and perfect. But what happens Monday morning when we're cut off on the road? Listen, listen. I know we're saved, sanctified folks. But I know, I know that I know somebody in here during rush hour gets cut off and they're cursing somebody out. I just know it. Okay? I'm guilty too. It's happened. I'm going to let you know. I'm going to be real, completely transparent. 
The last time it was really embarrassing. <laughs> My kids were in the car. Yep, I'll be honest with you. Yep. And that dude is up there preaching? Excuse me. I'm human. Amen? How long ago was that, Yazzie? Was that like a year ago? So, uh, it's okay. It wasn't that long ago, but in any case, it happened. And so, you know, I was highly upset. There was a guy who was an absolute animal on the road, did something that was just absolutely out of control. And I said, you bleep. And I'm sitting there. Sorry, guys. And they're so gracious. He said, It's okay, Dad. I got off the topic. How easy is it to love Monday through Saturday? Who do you love? Love everybody, especially at work. I guarantee you they're going to make you upset. Guarantee it. I don't know nobody at your job, but I know they're going to make you very upset at some point. It's going to happen. Listen, somebody in this church might make you very upset. With all of the little <laughs> perfect dance and the shout and the praise. and They got the makeup and the perfume all just right, but we might do it. Actually, I guarantee you we will. We have to love. Amen? I got a few little tips for you. Take out your little notebooks. Take out a pen. I'll give you a couple of notes. I'm going to give you Tony Aponte's four points to perfect Christianity. No, not, not, not really. Not really. But I did bring, bring a bag of Ginsu knives to give you along with it. No, I'm just joking. Somebody say, take up your cross and follow him. Somebody say, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. That's real love. Somebody say, that's real love. Real love. Nope, not going to sing that song. Number one. Actually, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the, the top three, and there's a fourth, right? So repeat after me. Open your mind. Open your heart. Open your mouth. Let's say that again. Open your mind. Open your heart. Open your mouth. What the heck does that mean? I'll tell you right now. I'm glad you asked. Open your mind. Don't judge anyone. Salvation is for everyone. Not just the ones carefully, that you carefully select according to your checklist of acceptability. Open your mind. Stop judging folks. That brother can never be saved. Look at him. His pants are all the way down to his thighs, man. You can see it. His whole butt. Smoking that weed walking down the block. No. The Lord loves him too. Just like you. How can that? He's got a mouth like a sailor. 
I would say probably most of us BC had mouths like sailors. I know I did. If there are any sailors watching online, I apologize to you. <laughs> or ex-sailors. I, I think Elder in the front was a merchant marine. Free yourself from the burden of saving all humanity. Right? Let me just say that again, and I'll explain. Free yourself from the burden of saving all of humanity. We can get so tightly wound in our heads that we won't know where to start, who to speak to. It's our responsibility to speak to everybody. We're worried that we can't save the world. There were just too many. It's not your job. All right? Free your mind from that burden. Free your mind from that responsibility. Amen? There was a, there's a pastor named uh, George Martinez, pastor of um, Sanctuary Fellowship. Got some friends that go there. Uh, if you guys know Double Edge, that's the church that they're going to now. And um, Pastor George Martinez, I heard him preach once, and he, and he gave this testimony. He said he, um, he used to go fishing with his dad as a kid. And um, I hope he'll, he'll, he'll forgive me for using this. But he would go fishing with his dad as a little kid. And he said, he admitted that as a kid, I hated fishing. I absolutely, fish skeeved me. I didn't want to touch them. I didn't want to be near them. They freaked me out. And then worms? Really? Worms? You want me to put worms on a hook? It's disgusting. But he said he wanted to be around his father. So he would go with his dad. And his dad would bring the poles and the bucket and the bait and everything that they needed. And they'd go out to the pier. And he would give his son, Pastor George, the, the, the rod. And, and Pastor George said that, you know, at that point, my dad would put the worm on the hook. He would get the hook ready. He'd tie everything up. He'd put it all together. And he said he would literally lean it over the banister and say, here, son, take it. And he said, I would take the pole and I would just stand there and wait. And then the fish would bite and he'd go, ah, ah, ah. And he said his dad would come over and he would take the pole from him. And he'd pull it out. And he would clean up the fish. He wouldn't have to touch the fish at all. All he would have to do is simply put the hook in the water. Right? His dad handled everything else. All we have to do is put the hook in the water. And let the father handle everything else. It's not our job to clean people up. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Don't put that burden on yourself. All you got to do is invite them. Hey, man, I go to this great church. Well, I hope you think it's a great church. I go to this great church over on Soundview and Underhill. And, uh, you know, they're just, it's a lot of fun. And there are people there that, that smell real nice and they dance real good. Just don't go after Thanksgiving because they eat a lot of weird stuff during the week. And they try to stay still to keep it in. But there's this great church over on Soundview and Underhill. I think you'd have a great time. Why don't you come? Hook in the water. Was that difficult? Was that, was that like really hard? Just put the hook in the water. Amen? Uh, their response is not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to invite, to talk about Jesus. Um, use what you know and don't worry about what you don't know because the Holy Spirit knows everything. And he's more invested in, invested in reaching the lost than you'll ever be. 
Don't worry about what you don't know. Don't worry about it. Think about what you do know. Even if it's as simple as, I go to church and I feel good. Tell them that. Listen, I go to church and I feel really good. You should come check it out. They might come. It's a hook in the water. If the Holy Spirit has predestined a day for that person and the season is right, they'll come. They'll be saved with minimal uh, uh, force exerted. I'm sure there's a better way to say that. (laughs) Number two, everybody say number two. Open your heart. So first was open your mind. Second is open your heart. Pray for God's heart of compassion for the lost. Tone, I just can't, I can't, I, I don't like people. I don't, I just, people make me sick. I hate being around people. I don't want, you want me to invite them to church? They, they smoke, they smell, I can't stand cigarette smells. I can't, I can't be around people that curse like that. Or, or I can't, excuse me, I can't, I can't, I just can't, it's, I just feel terrible when I'm around them. It's just, it's, I, I just want to be around church folk. Simple. Pray and ask God to give you compassion. And he will give it. If you have no compassion for the lost, it's simply because you don't want it. And that's not God's heart. I'm sorry. Don't be mad at me. It is the truth. Um, be consumed with God's mission and not your own. Right? So a, a lot of us, we're, 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 we're invested in a lot of things or, or maybe even just one or two things that really detract away from our time and our opportunity to reach people for Jesus Christ. Right? Whose mission are we on? Whose mission are we on? Are we on the Lord's mission or are we on our own mission? Maybe we want to conquer the world. Maybe we're looking to become CEO of some Fortune 500 company. Maybe we just want to be, you know, the fry guy at McDonald's, but that's consuming all of our time. Right? Be about the Lord's work. Worry about his mission. Be consumed like Paul was consumed. Make, the Holy, make a Holy Spirit adjustment to your perceptions of people, situations, and circumstances, and you will find the way into their hearts, right? When you see people going through stuff, don't assume anything about them. Take the opportunity to get to know somebody. Most of the time, people will come to church simply because of relationship. Amen? Amen? If they don't know you, if they know nothing about you, will they, will they be more or less uh, likely to be willing to come to church? They will be less likely. I don't know you. Why are you asking me to come to your church? What you want, my money? Uh, no. I want to see your soul live with Jesus for eternity where you can walk on streets of gold and get a mansion You can keep your wallet, Jack. (laughs) But it's about relationship. Learn something about somebody. Listen to people. Open your hearts. Receive people's problems and and listen to what people have to say. Sometimes after five minutes of listening to them vent, 
they might say, oh, this has me so stressed out. What do you do to deal with your stress? Come to church. Come check it out. Put the hook in the water. Let the Father clean them up. Become obsessive about finding the God opportunities in your day-to-day interactions with people. Everybody say, insert Jesus here. You ever see those signs where, you know, insert this here, put this here, insert batteries here, insert Jesus here. Look for those opportunities. Pay attention. Do it by prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit to kind of ignite you in those moments so that you can say, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? Amen? It's a sacrifice. It may actually take 10 seconds of your time, which is incredibly valuable. Last but not least, actually, it's not last. I'm sorry. It's third on the list. Everybody say, open your mouth. Everybody, let's, let's do that for a second. Open your mouth. Come on, let's see your dental work. You got any shiny gold teeth in the house? No, me neither. I'm missing a few. <laughs> Open your mouth. Somebody might say, I don't know enough scripture. How many, how many people feel like that? I don't know enough scripture to, to witness to somebody. Well, let me ask you a question. Can you testify about God's love in your life? God's faithfulness in your life? Can you testify about what Jesus has done for you? Does that take knowledge of Scripture? No. You don't have to quote a single, single solitary Scripture to testify about what God has done for you. Amen? Open your, everybody say, open your mouth. Somebody might say, I'm not an outgoing person. Pray for boldness. God will give it to you. Amen? Pray for boldness. There are some people that are absolutely terrified of praying in front of other people. It totally freaks them out. And I get it. And the, my, my thing is I've, I've been a performer for many years. I started playing, you know, in bands when I was like 15 or 16. So I'm kind of, you know, I remember the first time playing in front of an audience. And somebody told me, just imagine everybody in their underwear. Now, I'm not going to tell you to do that. <laughs> Please don't do that. You don't want to start laughing and make things awkward. <laughs> but pray for boldness. Really simple. The Holy Spirit will give it to you. In fact, Jesus spoke to his, his disciples and said, in that day you're going to be standing before kings and governors. Don't even worry about what you're going to say. Holy Spirit's going to give it to you. I believe that if you pray for boldness, the Holy Spirit will give you the words. It's that simple. It's not rocket science. It just takes a little bit of trust in the Lord. Amen? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. I don't know where to start. Somebody might say, I don't know who to go. I don't, where, where, where do I even start? Do you have family? Do you have friends? Do you play Texas Hold'em on Friday nights? Do you play basketball with somebody? Do you have fellow students? Do you have coworkers? Do you go to the, the corner bodega once a week to buy milk? 
There are people all around you that you already have a relationship with. Now, if you're afraid to talk to them because maybe they've seen you behaving a, <clears throat> a way that a Christian shouldn't behave, then that's on you, Jack. I can't talk to the guy at the store. I cursed him out last week because he got my change wrong. <laughs> Go back and apologize. Have a little bite of some humble pie and say, listen, I am so sorry that we had this kind of uh, an exchange Please forgive me. The Lord Jesus Christ has laid it upon my heart to come back and apologize to you. Normally, I wouldn't do this. It's not necessarily me, but the Bible is is kind of revolutionizing my life, and I had to come over here because I was driven by the Holy Spirit to apologize to you. I'm very sorry. That might actually touch somebody. They might wonder, wow, okay, you actually can tell me more. Um, practice. Somebody say practice. practice. Practice on a teddy bear. If you got goldfish, or a, I have betta fish, they're really cool. We have three of them. I can never remember what their names are. But you can, if you have a dog, practice on your dog. Get your dog saved. <laughs> Get your cat saved. Practice on your hamster. Hallelujah. Practice in the mirror. Don't argue with yourself. All right? That's one thing you don't want to do is argue back with yourself. But practice it. If you feel uncomfortable with it, if you rehearse it, if you, see, and if you kind of visualize yourself in a, in a kind of exchange, in an evangelistic exchange with somebody, talking about Jesus, talking about what he's done for you, talking about the impact of his word on your life, talked about talking about the impact of being saved is in your life. If you visualize yourself doing that, it'll come out naturally when the real time comes. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. amen. Meditate on the things that you would say. Visualize yourself. And number four, everybody say last. Everybody say yes. Dude is finally finished. All right, but this last page is four pages long. Just joking. Somebody say PFK. It's another thing I'm kind of borrowing from another pastor I know, Pastor Alvin Torres. As you know what PFK means? Let's see. little test to put her on the spot in front of everybody. It means pray fast and know your word. Pray fast and know your word. Jesus said, my true followers, they're going to worship me in spirit and in truth. Praying connects you, connects you with the Father. Fasting brings you closer to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, makes you sharper, makes you more responsive, more obedient. You, you bring your flesh under submission to the Spirit. Knowing your word helps you to know when God is speaking and when, he is, when, when it's another voice helps you to identify the true voice of God. It also, if, if you're able to memorize, it helps you to evangelize. You can use the word to, to speak to someone. I didn't say preach to somebody. I didn't say bust them upside the head with the Bible. I said simply share the word with somebody. Pray, fast, 
know your word. Understand that when Jesus was leaving, he said, go to Jerusalem and I will send you power from on high. The great commission only could take place after they received the what? The power, the Holy Spirit, the encounter with the Holy Spirit. How many people here have had an encounter with the Holy Spirit in their life? Wow, we're going to have a serious altar call. Like only four hands went up. All right, so I'm going to ask the question again. Here we go. How many people have had a true encounter with the Holy Spirit in their lives? All right, are you joshing me or are you serious? Listen, what happened in the book of Acts, how many people are familiar with the book of Acts chapter 2? What happened when the Holy Spirit fell? You know that's available to you, right? You know this is a church that believes in that. This is a church that believes in the apostolic doctrine. We still believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We still believe that God still operates in people here on earth. We, still, we believe that the book of Acts is an open-ended book. And we continue that book even today in this church, in this city. So if you've never had an experience with the Holy Spirit, it's available to you. And matter of fact, I would say if you have not never had an experience with the Holy Spirit, if you've never had the opportunity where God's voice literally prompts you from the inside, if you've never had an experience where the word of God came to life to you through revelation of the Holy Spirit, I would say that you're in danger. You're in trouble. You need the Holy Spirit. You've got to have the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? Making people nervous again, putting people on edge. How many people are coming back next week? (laughs) I don't want Pastor getting mad at me. It's a two part thing. Everybody say spirit and in truth. You need both in order to love the way God loves, you need both in order to take spreading the salvation message of the gospel to, uh, to make it personal to you. You need spirit and in truth. How many people here know what the difference is between a consumer and a contributor is? Consumer and contributor. Eloisa, what's a consumer? Purchases, Okay. Receives, okay, takes in, yep, takes in. And what about a contributor? What's a a contributor? They give. So consumer takes, contributor gives. Okay, it's interesting. What's the difference in the church of God? What would be the difference between the consumer and the contributor? My brother in the back. You are one bold brother and I appreciate you. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. My man is on point. I have an easy way to, rem- to, to help you remember what he said. 
The consumer is in love with church. The contributor is in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Should I repeat that? The consumer is in love with the church. The contributor is in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. So my question to you today is, are you a consumer or are you a contributor? Now, if you're a consumer, you can become a contributor anytime you want to. There's no cutoff time. There's no deadline. This isn't the IRS where April 15th at 12.01, you are in a tight spot, Jack. Not so. At any given moment, as you receive the revelation from the Lord, you can become a contributor. And you don't have to have a theological degree. You don't have to be saved for any length of time. You can be saved for five minutes and become a contributor. We had a a, a gentleman here in uh, Bells a few weeks ago. Actually, it was probably more like a month ago, who talked about there was a transition in his thinking and he got tired of just coming to church. In fact, he, he said that he would come to church and he would find all of the negative things about church. Right? And so there were things about you guys that he didn't like. There were things about the building that he felt like, why I got to be like that? Why you got to do that? Why you got to do that? And he literally testified about how in his mind something happened where the Holy Spirit got a, a hold of him and he said, you know what? I'm going to cut that mess out. I'm going to find a way to serve God in this place. And, uh, and there was a transformation in his life. And you could see that he was happier coming to church. <laughs> Come on, man. Y'all ain't hearing me. That's the transformative power of Jesus Christ doing his thing. When you get sick of doing your thing, the Lord is waiting on us. Amen. Stop being consumer at your church. Become a contributor, right? Until we take God's mission of restoration by spreading his love to the lost, we will only be playing patty cake for Jesus. We can look at the Apostle Paul's life and realize that we may need to reconsider what church has become to us and rediscover what church was meant to be. Amen? Somebody say amen. Christmas is coming up. Everybody say, yay. How many people like the decorations? I'm feeling this red and white. This is cool. I like wreaths. They're, they're like, they're a pain in the neck. You know when they're, they're at their best? When they've been sitting on a wall for a very long time and they're real dusty and you go to pull them off and all of that dust winds up in your nose and in your throat and on your hair? <laughs> But I, I really enjoy the way wreaths look. We have one that we put on our door at home, right? My, my, in my home, my wife is the decorator. Unlike Nate's home. <laughs> Hallelujah. Christmas is coming up and we can continue to put Jesus, who was already a full-grown man in pampers and a manger, or we can share the unconditional love of a Savior. To someone he loves. How many? How many? How, how many want to put a pamper on Jesus this this Christmas? 
a 33-year-old man. Talk about a manger. And the, and the, it wasn't three kings, it was wise men. Right? How many of us want to put, put Jesus back in swaddling clothes? Stop it. Stop it. Let's focus on the gospel, man. Let's focus on the gospel. Let's focus on what Jesus is doing in our lives and give it to somebody else. Pass the baton. Make the Lord happy instead of making ourselves happy. Somebody say, love is sacrifice. Somebody got to sacrifice something in order to see somebody saved. Amen? Amen. Let's not be selfish with our time. Let's not be selfish with our, with our treasure. Let's not be selfish with our homes. Who, who have you invited into your home recently for dinner? I don't like people in my house. I got too much laundry on the couches to have anybody over. My house is a mess. Well, clean it up. How are you supposed to love on somebody? And you can't let somebody come up into your business, man. Listen, the way you uh, form a relationship with somebody is making it personal. Amen? Letting them on the inside. Open, everybody say, open your mind. Open your heart. Open your mouth. One more time. Open your mind. Open your heart. And open your mouth. 